0: Welcome back to the Nomadic Gregor's podcast, I'm Anna
1: I'm Cameron
0: and we are back to share with you the ins and outs of teaching in international schools. Today we're going to focus on relationships amongst different groups of people but relationships that are going to be very important to the smooth running of your life as a teacher. We apologize for the somewhat extended absence, we've been off for two weeks, not by choice, um, in between bouts of sickness and the end of the school year. I think you all know how it goes.
1: Y'all are teachers, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, the end of the school year is one of those times when managing your time and, and preserving your energy to reach the end of the year in one piece is at times tricky, even when you've been a teacher for decades on end every year you know there's there's new challenges but we are back and we are here once again to keep showing you what the world of international education is like and encouraging you to take the leap if you think that this is for you maybe next year is the year that you hop on board and start looking for what wonderful opportunities there may be out there
1: yeah um So it's episode 6 of this season, as Anna said, we're going to be focusing on relationships. Next season, we're going to take a step back from international education um, and talk more just about traveling and being an expatriate. But for the time being, we've got a few episodes left this season, so we can go ahead and dig in.
0: So whether you're here for the education bits or the travel bits. If you don't want to miss any of it, we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you enjoy watching us on video or to any of the wonderful platforms where all great podcasts are broadcast to the world, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Rate and review this podcast if you have found it helpful or entertaining and share with anyone that you think that would benefit from our experiences. We are doing this to show you what international education can be like, what living abroad can be like, and how wonderful it can be to just put yourself out there in the world and explore.
1: Yeah, so we'll start today, as we said, we're focusing on relationships, and we're going to talk about, uh, we'll focus on the parent-teacher relationship, mostly from a personal perspective, um, but also from a professional one, although that'll be secondary because you're all teachers if you're watching this, ideally you know what parents are, parents are parents, no matter where you are. Exactly. Um, So we'll talk about the, not professional, the personal, personal, and uh, you'll see why. So depending on where you work, if you're an international school with a high percentage of non-local students, that means your parents are going to be non-local. And like any enclave, even within the United States, people of a certain group tend to stick together. And in this particular case, we are all expats. And so, expats tend to stick together, tend to hang out with each other, tend to be seen in the same circles, frequent the same places, all those kinds of things. And that means, likely, you'll be seeing your students and parents more frequently outside of school, in more social context than you might normally. And we'll talk about that as well. Uh, back home. But that, again, varies on experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. The other thing that makes parents in an international school a different bunch from what you encounter back home is the fact that the majority of parents are expatriates because they are working abroad. And that means that you have a uh, large group of professionals with families and that colors their relationship with teachers very often unlike other schools for example in countries like the us if you work in a public school you are probably going to have parents that are working in a variety of industries of different skill level and with that come home situations that may be different Uh. and may affect student learning in international schools for the most part students are going to be in families that are brought abroad with a relocation package and in terms of what you would think for example in terms of socioeconomic status they enjoy a relatively stable life they're not wanting for food for example and that kind of thing that you may encounter in a public school in the united states or in other countries so there are certain things that you may be watching out for your students' well-being that may not necessarily be concerns because their parents are working professionals and they're abroad in relocation packages that are sometimes very generous, so they're comfortable.
1: Yeah, like you as a teacher, most of your expat parents are going to be compensated, uh, usually better if not, you know, at least as well if not better than back in their home countries. But again, like you, also you're gonna get they're going to get some perks on top of that. Um, that will increase their, their spending power and those kinds of things. So you'll have a mixture of parents who may be making far more than they would back home. Um, again, it, it varies location to location because the more difficult the location, the more companies are going to want to pay parents to be there because they may not want to be there. But uh, you'll also still have parents who are just, by the nature of their job, uh, wealthy um so as anna said what that means is, is that for the most part a lot of the same social concerns with a child you might be looking for back home may not be there you're not in, in international schools you're not generally looking to see if the student is getting fed exactly um you know you're still very much on alert for your normal maybe uh, abuse any of your or uh, neglect, neglect or any yeah. of those kinds of child protection issues of course but food generally clothing shelter yeah those kinds of things are not an issue because without the parents and their jobs the kids would be at that country exactly
0: that country. so for the most <clears throat> part what you're gonna find is that one of the parents work and the other parent stays at home or both parents work sometimes you might find that one parent has a significantly more demanding job than the other and might be more absent from regular family life or more or less involved in school than the other and then of course you also have faculty parents so the children of your colleagues that may end up being your students
1: yeah but we won't well we can talk about that but again you're going to work with colleagues back home too who have kids who you may or may not teach but As Anna said, generally, it's one spouse working abroad simply because uh, it's hard to find two companies willing to send two people if they work for different companies, especially in different sectors, to one country and have jobs for them both readily available. So, as is unfortunately the case in most places, it's usually the woman who stays home. Not always. We've definitely worked with parents who... Uh, in Shanghai, we had quite a few who, they were the... Where the woman was the primary breadwinner. Yep, and the man and the husband stayed home. Um, but that's not, I wouldn't say, the norm. But it is the norm, on average, for one parent to be at home. Just because, as we said, and if you are a teaching... Uh, want to go out, and one of you is a non-teaching spouse, you'll find that, depending on where you go, opportunities for your spouse to work maybe few and far between depending on what their background is.
0: Yeah, and that's something that most international schools will specify in their school profiles and we'll talk about in interviews and presentations and so on. So it's information that you'll have available before you decide if a school and a location are available to you or are an option for you, sorry.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, parents, uh, you know, again, we can't say where you've worked back home um but you may have more parent involvement than you're used to may i'm gonna you know that's that's a may that's a big if especially if one parent is working at home which can be great especially if you're teaching elementary parents are oftentimes willing to come in help uh, print cut out things uh prep materials all of those kinds of things but on the flip side of that it also means that occasionally there are parents with too much time on their hands and end up pouring over every aspect of what you do and how you teach their child in the classroom.
0: Yeah, and so what we've seen in our experience is that sometimes parents that are not working and are using involvement in the school kind of are becoming overly involved in the school in a way that is not respectful of teacher boundaries sometimes that ends up kind of being a reflection of culture shock and in order to deal with possibly a change in status where maybe they went from working to not working then they're pouring all of their energy into school involvement and at times They don't understand that there are times when their help is really not helping.
1: Yeah, so that can be the case. Um, You know, because one spouse usually works, it can be difficult to see both parents at a parent-teacher conference. But that's never really been a big issue for us. Um, You still want to be mindful and be in in constant contact with parents when a student may be struggling but also letting them know when they're having successes nothing about that changes and an email usually suffices
0: yeah um you may find yourself in the odd situation where one or both of the parents of a student either don't speak english or don't speak english fluently and don't find themselves comfortable communicating with you in english Most international schools will require parents that are not fluent in English to bring a translator to conferences, um, so that communication can be clear. But that does happen from time to time. You may run into parents that don't speak English. If you're
1: teaching in the U.S., that's you're used to that. Exactly. Um, Which in the U.S. they may just not show up. Here, that and internationally they may not show up as well. Um, Yeah.
0: So this year, it was actually something that was happening to me. I. Kept emailing a parent and I wasn't getting any responses until one of my team members explained that that parent didn't speak English. Lucky for me, that parent is a Spanish speaker. So sure enough, I sent an email in Spanish and everything opened up immediately.
1: Um, like other, I, I, even public schools too, back home, uh, and but especially private schools, because the parents are paying, they may try to... Uh, use that influence over the school if something doesn't go the way they want. Um, If, you know, there's a change in policy that they may not like, it's akin to a parent back home going and complaining to the school board, uh, which is becoming more and more the norm, unfortunately. But that's not, I wouldn't say that's a big issue.
0: It's not, but it's uh, it's certainly something that it's not impossible that it would happen that a parent that is very wealthy or very connected or on the board of directors or something like that or works at the embassy or something like that may try to leverage those positions to get things to change in their favor.
1: Not at the embassy.
0: Well, no. I mean, in a in a powerful position is really what I was trying to say.
1: Fair enough. We love the embassy. um but again you know that's just parents being parents and that happens in the u.s too it happened at at my school in hawaii it happens in public schools all the time you know parents schedule meetings with principals with administration uh we've all seen videos of school board meetings uh, and town hall school board town halls in the united states talking about whether it's books whether it's one of the plethora of new laws has been getting passed in Florida or Texas and those kinds of things. So it's no different, but just something that we want you to be aware of does happen. Um, I
0: will say though, I've we I've never heard of anything like you know some of those board meetings sometimes that you see streamed in the us where you see people berating teachers or anything like that i've never heard of an instance like that in an international school language might get strong in certain situations where you may have a very displeased or irate parent but never in that way that unfortunately we're starting to see in some parts of the united states it's never like people are most of the time parents are never going to like overtly insult you or berate you most of them are very supportive and understanding of what it means to teach their children and are willing to have conversations and listen to your suggestions
1: yeah and again we're talking pretty explicitly about expat parents for sure when you work with the local population things can be different Um, But we won't get into that, mostly because every culture is extremely different. Yeah. And your experience in that place will be very different than ours. So we won't worry about what it's like working with a local parent population because it's too varied to really nail down. Yeah. So the other part with being an expat, as I said at the beginning, is that especially if you have kids uh, and you teach their age or around their age, Chances are you're going to be hanging out with those parents. Maybe. Well, not chances are. You might be. Okay? Yeah. It depends a lot on where you are and what's available outside of work. But take, for example, Shanghai, a city of 26 million people. Well, We don't have kids and tend to not hang out with our students' parents simply because we don't have that common ground, or we don't have children having play dates, or we're out at the same spots where kids go. But in a city of 26 million, it was amazing how frequently we would see people we know and worked with out and about in the city because, as I said, expats move around in groups. We tend to go to the same restaurants, the same places going out, the same attractions, all of those kinds of things. Not all the time. Sure, Sure, we go to other places, but the places that we frequent tend to be the same, whether you're a teacher or whether you work for apple or ikea or anybody else
0: but there's a reason for that it's not just the fact that expats tend to visit and patron expat friendly places and things that are a little bit more familiar but maybe with a little bit of a local local flavor but also especially in the first couple of years As an expat, you're going to rely on the recommendations of other expats for a lot of things, and so of course that means that other expats are going to be doing the exact same thing as you, you know, going on to a Facebook group to find out what's a place where they can go eat good Mexican food on Cinco de Mayo, for example, okay? So because there is all of that kind of inside referral network within the expat community and expats rely on recommendations from other expats in part because of an issue of familiarity, it's normal that expats kind of tend to hang out in the same places.
1: Yeah, and also because oftentimes as an expat, you want a bit of home. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, you tend to hang out with other people you also want a bit of home in those places that remind you of home you know it's amazing how f- not frequently we go to starbucks when we're abroad but you know, it depends on where we are if we're in europe i don't think we ever go to starbucks no um shanghai they were ubiquitous here in the middle east they're pretty common um but we almost never go in the u.s but oh, here really? uh, internationally it's nice occasionally when you're feeling maybe a little bit homesick you get that opportunity to go and feel like, you know, if you're like, ah, if you're having a bad stage two day with culture shock, you can go to a Starbucks, you can go to McDonald's or wherever. And for that briefest of moments,
0: you're going to get that wave of familiarity and know exactly what to expect. Yeah. And, and that helps. It's a, it's a bit of a, a parenthesis of relief from maybe a situation that is very overwhelming.
1: Well, we'll talk more about that. Um, next season. I want to I want to spend a couple episodes, and we've talked about really doing downsides or, like, bad days of being an expat. We've talked about it before, but really... Bad days and, like, happy places. <laughs> yeah. But coming back to parents, you know, be prepared that you may be and become very good friends with a large set of parents at your school, whether you teach their children or not. Um, and so, just, you know, we, we ask and we're, we remind you that Be mindful of what you say or don't say around different parents specifically because all it takes is, as we all know how gossip works, one slip of the mouth and something spreads and you know, maybe uh, it gets back to your admin and they're wondering why you've said something to a parent about a student or about the school or about the school. Um, So be mindful of that. And I had something else I was just going to add to that
0: well i was gonna add that if you do become good friends with a parent especially if it's the parent of a student that you teach personally it's a good idea to establish when the time is to talk about their student about their child as your student and i would personally say the time to do that is at school through your school email in a school meeting in a school zoom meeting not outside of school most parents are very respectful and will avoid asking you questions about what's going on in the classroom you know when you're trying to buy groceries or when you're going to the coffee shop most parents will be respectful but some parents are not so it's not a bad idea if you are hanging out with parents or if you do become friends with a parent which there's nothing wrong with that just, just let them know that maybe outside of school, you'd rather not discuss those things. I think it's a, it's a healthy boundary.
1: Again, no, it depends on where you're coming from. You know, in Hawaii where we were, parents, friends with teachers was extremely common.
0: Especially because a lot of people had gone to school together.
1: But again, if you're coming from a rural place as well, it's also very common. I grew up and my parents were friends with a number of my friends' uh, parents. And you right. teachers. Well, my parents were teachers, but my friends' parents weren't. Right. So it was very common because it, you have limited options in smaller places. So if you're coming from New York or L.A., yeah, maybe that's not the case. And um, so you may be used to this already. You may say, you know what, I teach... Uh, Kindergarten? Thomas over here. Oh, Thomas. No. Oh, okay. And uh, Thomas's mother and I are great friends. And yeah. it's fine. But, you know, like with any job, you just want to be careful of... You know what you say and, and who you say it to
0: and then of course there's always the possibility that you may be the kind of person that is not interested in hanging out with parents is something that I personally avoid I it depends on the location in some locations it's it's fine to hang out with some parents in social situations in others is a little bit more uncomfortable so gauge how you feel in some social interactions with parents like I'm fine around parents and school events and that kind of thing but usually I personally don't hang out with parents outside of school but that's a personal choice and you'll have the same personal choice
1: I don't mind as much but then again we don't have the opportunity nearly as often simply because we don't have kids ourselves exactly uh, the opportunities to get to know them outside of school don't arise
0: as as
1: frequently yeah Um, Also, we're kind of antisocial, so we don't (laughs) put much effort into it
0: either. I think the the word is social batteries that that take long to recharge. No,
1: I'm antisocial.
0: No, social batteries that
1: take long to recharge. It needs planning. Anyways,
0: we require planning.
1: So all of this leads into, I think, our next topic about relationships, which is your relationship with the school. And I think the most important thing to know is that when you go abroad, If you're teaching in the u.s and i don't know i think the uk has unions too germany too okay so labor laws are going to be very different and you don't have a union behind you you do again for the most part germany other places it's different yeah you don't have these uh, institutions or other things behind you in case something goes wrong
0: yeah so you're not going to have a group made of teachers from the school or even outside of school in the greater teacher community that is advocating for teacher protections or teacher rights or anything like that you're you're not going to be part of that in, in a good majority of places yeah. if you teach in an international school
1: a good school will will back you up and support you as far as you know issues with parents and things like that but of course. if one of the things you have to remember is if you break the law which is going to might be very different from where you're from The school has little to no recourse, little, little to no recourse ability to really help you. Um, So, or if the school maybe, you know, every so often in the international school world, you'll do hear of schools doing mass layoffs. And, um, you know, again, it would depend on where you are. But for the most part, when that happens, you have little recourse to be able to do anything about it. You're just done um you it's more difficult to fight back because you know you could hire a lawyer but it's a again expensive and b you may not speak the local language and which adds an extra layer of complication to things um, which is all to say is it just be aware of uh, the working relationship when you're looking at schools and read reviews to see how schools manage conflict it's definitely something I would ask in a second or third interview before I took a job. What happens when there's a conflict between a teacher and an administrator or a teacher and a parent? How does the school support me in that? Um, because, again, yeah, you don't have the same protections you might back home. It's a very, You're going to be in a very different country, with very different legal, uh, with very different laws.
0: I yeah, would say. so international schools don't have... Tenure, You can't become a vested teacher or anything like that in the vast majority of places. So your job is not as secure as it may be in other places. And you may even find yourself in a situation where you have signed a contract. You've said, I'm going to stay for next year. Enrollment numbers are not adding up and there ends up being redundancies and the school you know, looks at things and say, maybe you know, we, we don't have a place for you right now. Your position is not available because we can't justify it numbers wise. And even when you were expecting to stay, you might be told that you have to go. That's entirely possible.
1: So, story time. Uh, So when we worked in Shanghai, um, Anna had gone back to the U.S. already, and we had a number of meetings individually, and it turns out that we had some redundancies due to apparently student enrollment. And a week before school ends, I was told I was going to be let go and given severance or option to go work. Um, without getting into the, into the weeds and the details on it, somewhere else related to the school doing a different job. Of course, I took the other job because I had a week to pack up all of my stuff, I was alone, Ana wasn't there, I was freaking out, and I was one of you know quite a few teachers for whom this was happening, and it just happened, and I, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't push back and fight back, I couldn't sue. Um, and it ended up working out in the sense that I got my old job back anyways, but just know that because of where you are and how things work, schools definitely have the upper hand in your contracts.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: and that means negotiating as well. I do know teachers who have negotiated their contracts, at least in the initial contract, um, they've leveraged the school for a higher offer based on what they teach based on other, uh, offers they've gotten from other places. And how depending on the time of year you know it's far harder to negotiate a higher salary in late october than it might be in march when the school might be really struggling to hire someone for the next school year yeah. so or maybe
0: like getting a higher signing bonus if you offer to sign a three-year contract as opposed to a two things like those like it's not completely off the table and impossible but it's not as common admin probably has a lot more leverage in the kind of negotiation that they can do like because that's like a high level recruitment so it's 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 a different ballgame if you are an administrator you may have a little bit more leverage and might be able to negotiate more but for teachers generally no the school establishes what you get paid at certain levels and that's pretty much it
1: it's all conjecture though yeah so again you know for the most part unlike in the US where Admin are not belonging to the union because they are not teachers. Yeah. Internationally, the, your administrators um, are generally at the same whims of the overall school as you are. That's true. So, you know, what happens to them, what happens to you may also happen to them. What happened to me happened to an administrator I knew elsewhere. He was also let go into the year. Redundancies, although, why an administrator is redundant, I don't know. Anyways, so yeah, they may have some more negotiating power, but they're also just as much at the whims of their contracts to their schools as you are.
0: So it's one of the reasons why staying in touch with people and ensuring that you are connected to your professional network, even when you are working in a specific location, is important. It doesn't mean that you have to live in a constant state of paranoia of, oh my God, what if I'm may redundant in may and i have to run because i'm left out of a job that's that's not how it goes it's something that may happen doesn't happen as often because schools want to be careful and want to make sure that if they, they want to maintain o- their reputation exactly exactly so but it is something to keep in mind reach out to your ne- to your network stay connected with people so that if you find yourself in a in an emergency you can you can make direct connections and see what's available. And at the same time, in the same way, this is just a general reminder, in the same way that you are expected to keep up with your certifications, for example, apply for paperwork in the the correct time frame, get your documents in order and all of that, schools have the same expectation. You are a sponsored employee. So, If you are not sure that your school is filing things correctly, if you get a notice from the government, reach out to your school. You want to make sure that your school is doing what they need to do on their end so that you are in good standing in your host country.
1: Yeah, um, you know, we talked about, or we had it listed as red flags, but I don't know how much we actually talked about red flags per se in episode one as I looked through our notes. I don't see a whole lot in there, but as we think about this relationship between you and the school, you know, again, we review, we recommend reviewing schools, uh, asking other people if you happen to know anybody, uh, talking to current, former employees, but you may see red flags as well before you even get there. If the school is asking you sometimes to maybe pay for a visa or pay for certain things, And say, oh, we'll just reimburse you when you get here. For me, I'd be a little, ooh, I don't know. Um, You know, a a school wants to make you feel comfortable. They want to have you there. Like any business, it costs more to hire a new client or a new teacher than it does... to
0: retain an
1: old one. To retain an old one. So it's in their best interest as well to provide a, a great, safe working environment for you where you feel happy, where you feel supported... And if you see at the onset of your contract before you even get there, that you're not feeling supported, it doesn't mean it's a bad school, not at all, but it's something that you may want to be discussing as you're moving forward. Um, And then I blanked.
0: Well, so on that note, it means that when you are in a school, when you're preparing to go to a school, find out who the go-to person is to address concerns, ask questions. Do you have an HR representative? Do you just send an email to your immediate superior? Who is the person that is there to ensure that that professional relationship between you and the institution that hired you stays healthy, stays successful, and serves everybody's purpose so that everybody wins at the end?
1: And like like individual people or teachers or admins, schools can change as well. You know, a school may, you may have heard some bad things about a school, but it doesn't mean 10 years down the road that school is the same one that you heard things about.
0: Absolutely. Or
1: maybe you heard great things about a school and you get there and you realize, oh, maybe those great things weren't great or maybe they were they're no longer available
0: of course it's always possible that a place that has been trashed in reviews ends up being a great place for growth and is has made significant changes and is on the up and up and that a place that has a great reputation is beginning to start a period of decline it's always possible which is why once again as we've been saying for the last three seasons approach everything with an open mind
1: yeah it's just because someone had a bad experience doesn't mean you will exactly and if you've ever been on the internet which you have to be if you're watching this <laughs> exactly you'll know that the people with the most uh bad laundry to air are the loudest exactly so you know uh yeah i think that kind of wraps us up for today it's a little bit of a shorter episode and yeah that's okay
0: but you know it's it's the same thing The key to successful relationships, as in most relationships, it's communication, it's transparency, it's integrity, it's trying your best, assuming best intentions, same thing as with every relationship with other people.
1: Yeah. But, you know, again, you don't have the leverage you might back home in an international school. So, so of
0: course, keep yeah. that in mind. staying informed and communicating with people that can help you is also important so that you are always in the best position possible.
1: And be mindful of, you know, if you're hanging out with parents or people outside of school of those child protection issues, that you're not discussing anything, any personal or private info about a child or their academic performance or social emotional needs that doesn't need to be, that should not be discussed outside of those walls inside the school
0: exactly so with that we are going to wrap it up for this relationships episode of the nomadic gregors podcast if you've made it all the way to the end thank you so much for coming for the first time to listen or view or for returning If you have found this helpful, once again, we encourage you to like and subscribe, rate and review, connect with us in our socials, and please let us know how we can make this podcast as helpful, as informative, as entertaining, as relevant to you as we possibly can. We will see you next time with
1: a new episode. Keep an eye out for our course, which is coming pretty quick. We're going to kick that off. Hopefully, our goal is the end of May. I don't know if we'll quite get there, but our goal, I think, at this point is by the end of this academic year.
0: So, what this course that we keep talking about is about is consolidation of information about how to get started in international education. There seems to be a lot of scattered information on the internet, but consistently we hear people asking, how do I get started? I'm not sure is this a good agency i don't know so we are compiling all the information that we have found available all the agencies that we know all the tips that we have put in practice in our years of experience and putting them into one go-to self-paced actionable course so that you can get started
1: with confidence designed for people who have never been abroad if you've been abroad before you've been through the process and there's not going to be any new information for you other than no, there won't be anything new, I don't think. If you've been abroad as a teacher, you know what to do because you've been through the, the process. But we're, we're looking at teachers that are new, maybe uh, are just licensed, or those that have are looking to improve their situations and uh, explore the world a little bit.
0: Yeah. So we're working on ensuring that we can provide you with a step-by-step guide that you can work on in your own time and prepare for the next recruitment time when you are ready to go abroad. But you will have all the information that you need to get started and move on to teaching abroad and the wonderful opportunities that it provides. And now we hope to see you in the next episode here on the Nomadic Gregors podcast. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye.